in Switzerland we cook three million meals per day um, for consumers out of the you know from out of home. So in these three million meals, there's a huge power, you know, for... Um... That was the voice of Andreas Handke, food activist and head chef of Zurich-based restaurant Barbette. So, grab yourself a drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, depending on your preference, and come join us as we talk all things chefy on Grab a Drink with a Swiss Chef. Hey everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Kershaw, and our featured guest today is Andreas Hanke, or Andy for short. He's head chef and geschäftsführer of Barbet Restaurant in Zurich. There, he puts his sustainable focus on a farm-to-table concept with a French bistro twist. During our chat today, Andy takes us through his career, his ownership of multiple restaurants in Zurich, along with all the lessons learned. He also talks in depth about his work as a teacher to the next generation of chefs and the very important work he does as a UN representative for social change in the food industry. For those of you who haven't heard of the restaurant, it's located at Bertestrasse 16 in Kreis 3 in Zurich. As always, if you wish to contact me with feedback or questions, uh, feel free to email me on theswisschef101 at gmail.com. And by the way, all the links that we mention in this pod today uh, will be posted in the comments below. So let's jump into it. I enjoyed this one, so let's check it out. Hey, Andreas, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Nice to be here. Cool. So um, before we get into uh, into it, um, I always ask everybody on the podcast um, a very simple question, and that is, what are you drinking? Oh, um, actually, I'm having um, herbal infusion tea right now. Um, okay. So um, before we get into the details about yourself and, and your story. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the, the restaurant you work at? Um, for people that don't know about it, what's the concept? And basically, what is your role there? Um, yeah, I'd like to. Um, so I'm working at the restaurant Babette uh, in Zurich, uh, in the center. Um, Babette is inspired by the movie Babette's Feast, you know, like the, the mama, the granny, who's cooking for the community. So we do like French bistro foods, farm to table stuff. And um, and what what is your role there, Andreas? Um, yeah, I'm cooking obviously, but I'm also uh, in charge of the you know organization, back office, and everything. So I'm the Geschäftsführer and head chef. Okay, right. And uh, I take it by your your accent, your your Swiss native. Oh, hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Swiss born and half German, so that's like there's a slightly <laughs> uh, pronunciation, like Swiss style. <laughs> um, cool. Where where did you grow up in Switzerland? Um, in an area called Rheintal, so it's like in, in the maximum east of Switzerland. It's like the, the valley of the Rhine River. Mm -hmm. um, it's between Germany, Austria, and the Alps. So quite a special micro area in Switzerland. The food there, what type of, what type of cuisine were you used to growing up there? Um, yeah, I have to say my mom and my grandma were actually really good cooks. 
So um, I was happy to grow up in a lot of self-cooked fresh food and yeah, all sorts of things. So my father was German, so like German cuisine, you know, very rough, fatty, heavy, but also um, a lot of veggies and yeah, just good, good food, good food. Very nice. Um, what was the favorite dish then when you were growing up? Uppelkuechli, um, actually. So like um, apple donuts sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And do you always take that when you go back back there to visit? Um, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I do. Yeah. There are a lot of um, special ingredients for it. Actually, I was just cooking one ingredient yesterday at my place. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and, you know, as you were growing up, was it in your early memories where you decided that uh, you wanted to get into this, you wanted to be a chef, uh, or did that come later in life? Mm, I think it started to, you know, kind of become true around 13, 14. So when you have to decide if you go to like, you know, high school, university, or do a vocational training, um, to my mother had a, a restaurant or kind of a, a local pub. I was like growing up in a in this environment. So my father was also fishing, was hunting. So I was very early connected to food and the gastronomical business. So it kind of was so the path was already kind of set. Oh wow! Let's say. Yeah. So did you, uh, as a kid, uh, were you helping out in the kitchen with your at your mom's uh, restaurant? Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes I to cook a bit um, or just being there was also like, you know, nice. You know, I was around, you know, French fries and bomb chips and chocolate. Mm. So it was really exciting to be there. My father also used to cook there sometimes, you know, for friends, like smoking mm -hmm. fish. And yeah, it was nice to oh. grow up in this environment. Very nice. And then that led you to uh, choose your, your career path. So what was that? Did you study like uh, hospitality at a college or did you go into um, an apprenticeship? Exactly. I did like the classical Swiss way. I did this apprenticeship, sort of vocational, vocational training uh, for like three years in a pretty good restaurant, uh, also in, in the Valley of the Rhine. Um, for three years was the Oxen Bernick. So they were, we had also our own butchery. Then we had like a, a more fancy restaurant. And uh, the second one, or like in the first floor, was more like a restaurant for like, you know, the peasants, mm -hmm. let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and was it during that time when you thought, um, you know, at the end of it, did you say, okay, I want to continue with this? Or, you know, I speak to a lot of chefs sometimes and during the you know, that process of that internship, they kind of get burnt out and then to say, oh, I don't want to go back into that. Uh, what was your feelings after the after you'd finished this? No, I, I would say I was like licking blood, literally. Um, so I had like a super rough three years. Like, I think I never worked like again so much as during my apprenticeship. Wow. So, but I was like, okay, now I did this. So I need mm -hmm. to continue this path. And then, uh, you know, I decided to like uh, these season jobs in, in the mountains. So I went to St. Moritz into like the five-star gastronomy in the early 2000s. So it was quite exciting to see, uh, you know, the high end of yeah. gastronomy. And where, where did you uh, work? In uh, St. Moritz? Uh, in the Kulm. Okay. The Kulm Hotel, like classy 50 chefs per grade. Per grade. Uh, then we had, um, you know, the, the cooking station was like with a oil burner. So it was like no temperature regulation. It was just like super hot or hot. Uh, all copper cooking ware. So it was like, you know, super nice to see for me. But it was also kind of a turning point in my career why um yeah after three years of like high-end gastronomy i was like super fed up oh really so the high-end stuff made you fed up yeah and more like the, the appreciation towards the job mostly to towards the food so we produced so much food waste you know there was like we had like the best iranian caviar you know exotic fish from all over the world and i felt like wow is this the way i want to to cook the rest of my life and then the answer was pretty clear 
no, I want to go another path. Okay, and so where, where did that take you then afterwards? Um, straight to Zurich, actually, or to the countryside of Zurich, to a place called Bachs. It's a small valley again, a small village with an, a restaurant, which was like one of the a handful of restaurants which were uh, certified with the Knospis or organic label. So that meant already like, okay, that's what I want to do. Okay. And uh, what was the role there? Was uh, Were you a sous chef or? No, I actually started as a chef de party. You know, I was like 22 around. And then I stayed there for very 10 years. So in the end, I was like head chef, um, head of uh, education. And so some projects as, as well, like leading some mm -hmm. projects. And that's when you first got into um, working with organic, organic food. Yeah, in the early 2000s, yeah. Because we had like around 20 farmers in, in that area. And uh, they just all produced wonderful ingredients. And then, well, it was just like super nice to see this farm to table concept before even there was a, a name for that. But to work so close with farmers or other producers was just a, a a blast for me. Mm. And how long were you there at that uh, that restaurant? Um, nine or ten years. Oh, really? What was the name of it? Uh, Neuhof. Neuhof Bachs. Yeah, doesn't exist okay. anymore in in ah. that form, obviously. But okay. And then after uh, after there, where did you find yourself? Mm, yeah, simultaneously, I was also starting to teach at the culinary school, like for. Um, the vocational training was for apprenticeships and 2000 and what was it around seven I started to become self-employed I opened up my first own restaurant Mühletal also in Zurich yeah from from that on is uh, another path again <laughs> okay and how long did uh, did that go um, exactly five years. Five years. Then we had to close because it was in a very hip uh, area. So we mm -hmm. have been like a classy victim of, uh, how you say, gentrification. Yeah. So yeah. we've been gentrified away. Uh, it was 100 year was a restaurant with a lot mm -hmm. of history. Really, you know, a kind of yeah, place to be for 100 years. And then we were like the last owners which was really sad now it's a gallery obviously and oh, really? the rent kind of tripled wow yeah then we have been kicked out and we opened another restaurant where i also stayed five years because it was also gentrified away <laughs> oh really okay and what was this what was the uh, the cuisine of these two places um you eat what we serve was mm. like the topic so we didn't have a fixed menu we had just mm -hmm. had like two starters two main two sweets Mm -hmm. and actually daily something different so really farm to table spontaneous yeah. okay okay but in in uh, swiss style cuisine or was it more linked to french or italian or was it yeah. just a mixture of everything i think it was a bit my wife is italian so i'm mm -hmm. you know since 15 years like visiting regularly italy <laughs> i traveled a lot so i was to japan asia so he was also like asian cooking cooking techniques but with just local ingredients. So I would never do like, you know, you know, like 10 years ago, there were no miso pastes made in Switzerland, but now we have that. So now I can also um, add that to my cuisine. But it was like pretty French based, let's say. Mm -hmm. And what areas was that in the uh, in Zurich? Um, Kreis 5, so it was between mm -hmm. Limmerplatz and Escheriesplatz. Actually, both of these restaurants were like, in the same Kreis, in the same area, and both had to close to gentrification. So I could also see when a restaurant close, an entire network is collapsing because we had so many regular customers, you know, elderly people, football clubs, artists. So if some, like a pub disappears, it's not just a pub disappearing, it's an entire network disappearing and that's super sad. Yeah. yeah. And going through the, the you know, those two um restaurants that you owned after the the last one you said that's enough for me or do you still want to go down that path again in the future actually i was really like kind of 
yeah, fed up, you know, leaving a place after five years when we are like, after three to five years, you, you start to become successful. So we were like, after four, four years at the point where we made money and then we had to leave. So that's super frustrating. And when we have been kicked out from the whole job, the second place, we knew that we were kicked out. And then uh, uh, we have been approached by another restaurant owner in Kreisdrei if we don't want to take over that place. So I thought, okay, am I ready to open a third place, you know, in such a short time? And then through a kind of a feeling of responsibility towards my network, towards the producers, because if you work with so many small scale producers, you have kind of responsibility. So I decided to continue working that I can keep the network alive. Okay. Okay. And is that when you found yourself at Barbette? Exactly. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was 2017. 2017. Or 18, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. I mean, um, what I'm a bit interested in now is uh, a bit about, uh, you know, your, your, your style of cooking. Um, what would you say your, your favorite style is? Or what, what is your favorite type of ingredients to work with? That's hard to say. It's like music, you know, it depends on the weather, on the mood, on the season, on the emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I love veggies. Yeah. All the veggies, but they need to be in season. There are also a lot of, you know, still rare or undiscovered, you know, old breeds, old seeds, heirlooms. I love to discover them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not cooking very fancy. I'm cooking very honest, very, you know, basic, but with, you know, some twists, let's say. Mm -hmm. I love fire. And um, yeah, it needs to be nourishing the soul, the heart and the belly. Mm. And you, you, um, you mentioned to me um, before we uh, we started the the conversation um, about your work with the with the UN as well. Um, do you want to just bring that in here? Um, yeah, I can do. Well, you need to stop me if I like talk too much about that. Yeah, because since like let's say since I work it worked at Neuhof, you know the role of food and, and the social aspect of, you know, who's producing the food, what are the, what's the environment the food is produced. So, so since then, very important to me. And let's say the last 10 years, um, it became more and more a topic. Um, so I was invited by the um, food and, uh, what the foul food and agriculture organization from the UN to participate the course called Food and Climate Shaper to really dive in into this topic. Um, yeah, we have these SDGs, you know, the Sustainable Development Goals, a lot of goals we have to reach 2030. They're like 17 goals. And to realize that the chef or the gastronomy is in contact of with like the most of these goals was kind of an eye-opener for me because, you know, who's, who's talking to the farmer and to the consumer? So it's us who is, in Switzerland, we cook 3 million meals per day um, for consumers out of the, you know, from out of home. So it, in these 3 million meals, there is a huge power, you know, for um, uh, a shift in the environment, you know, towards a more, you know, sustainable world, you know, you know, uh, bringing up more yeah, biodiversity. Um, yeah, it's super complex, but also super interesting. And since like 10 years, I'm diving more and more into this field. I'm also part of a chef's manifest, which is a subgroup from the SDG2, Zero Hunger. And there we kind of try to empower chefs to really see how important their role is and how much responsibility also comes with that role. You know, instead of being like uh, brand ambassadors for cars or banks or whatever, they could be also ambassadors for like healthy food system for uh, in environmental topics. And I think there is the future because you know the world is on fire, and we could cook and eat the the world into a better one. And mm -hmm. I think that that's key. 
-hmm. So a lot of my work is around this as well. And do you, is there a movement within Switzerland towards this? Do you, do you have a lot of these ambassadors uh, in Zurich, in your network? Are you, um, are you seeing more people move towards this? Um, Zurich has a super nice milieu. You know, it's, it's, it's very cross-pollinating, let's call it, between different startups. You know, they're like startups which are growing uh, mushrooms in basements on coffee grind from the restaurants. So the circular economy thinking is now coming. There are a lot of restaurants which are cooking like this farm to table, plant-based, vegan, a lot of young chefs which work differently, you know, in the, the organization, it's not like top down anymore. It's more like team players and let's develop something. So I see a really uprising in this new gastronomy. And um, let's say, a month ago or six weeks ago, um, actually we released or we started with a project called Gastro Futura, which is exactly taking this role or this responsibility to connect, to make it visible and to multiply the power of food and chefs. But it's not a topic. <laughs> okay. okay. And um, for, for our listeners, um, you know, chefs in particular, if they want to get uh, involved in such a program, how, how could they go about? Do you uh, have like, yeah. is, there a, is there a website? Is yeah, there just a... visit uh, www.gastrofutura.ch and they are guided through it. We are like in a trial year. So if we are successful for Zurich in the first year, we can go nationwide for other two years and really build a strong network of like sustainable gastronomy. We have a lot of peer-to-peer -peer learning we have. We have like um, coaching, um, yeah, a lot of different formats and they're like accessible for all sorts of gastronomy, not just for high-end, it's also for kebab, for like fast food restaurants because each one can play its role and we are all part of the problem but we can also be part of the solution and we try to work there, you know, that each and one of us can be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. and how do you manage um, these type of activities and still, you know, being a head chef at, uh, you know, a popular restaurant in Zurich? Um, anger, pure <laughs> anger. <laughs> it's driving me. <laughs> Yeah, because it makes me mad, it makes me angry to see this injustice in production. You know, we are still talking about strawberries in February and, you know, even when they are, you can buy them organic, but they're still from Spain. And then we don't ask mm. who's picking these strawberries. They're all like people with a, a migration background. How are they treated? So this the injustice in, in our entire food system and also the the role of the big meat lobbies, of the dairy lobbies, of the agro lobbies, that makes me just angry and I think that keeps me going. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the love for food. And um, yeah, food is a great tool for social change. You know, there's nothing more intimate than cooking and feeding people. And we restaurateurs or gastronomic people, we can also open a room and host such events. And that's a beautiful gift. So I'm also a big fan and supporter um, of our industry because mm -hmm. it's such a wonderful thing. And yeah, we are like a, a punching bag for a lot of things, but uh, yeah, we have to empower and become stronger as, as an industry, I think. Yeah. And what, how did you get into such a thing? Because uh, you're the first chef that I've uh, spoken to that, uh, as, uh, is this passionate about uh, about such a program? H how did it come to you? Was it something you uh, just picked up when you were working at the, the culinary school as a teacher or? I think it was a way, you know, I, at the culinary school, I tried to brainwash my students, you know, because they are the future chefs or cooks, mm -hmm. let's start with cooks. So they, they will be in these cooking positions in the future. It's really nice to see how they empathize with these topics and they, they don't know anything about that. And I've seen a lot of your podcast chefs. They are also part of this movement, not actively, mm -hmm. but they mm -hmm. will be soon part of Gastro Futura mm -hmm. because they see the power. They, they do already a great job. 
but let's do it together and let's celebrate it. That's more the topic. And for me, I'm in this super lucky and super happy position, which I grew in, that I'm now at the point where I can really share my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of, I give a lot of speeches, give a lot of courses, you know, it's maybe it's about food waste, but food waste is just a symptom of a rotten system. Yeah. It's about equality. It's about organization. There's so many topics you can talk about through food. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's genius. So I really want to empower all the chefs and inspire mm-hmm. them to mm-hmm. take uh, action. Yeah, it's really great stuff. I, I'm very impressed. Um, is there, um, I mean, I normally ask this at the end, but um, is there, uh, do you have a, a social media account that people can um, jump onto to see the work that you're doing and, mm-hmm. and to follow it more closely? Yeah, I'm really bad in social media. I'm trying to. Actually, I, I had a, in London a course with this chef's manifesto, how to use social media, you know, to mm-hmm. keep out the message. Mm-hmm. And so it's not Andy Handke, it's Handke Andy at Instagram account and Facebook. I think it's also just Andy Handke. Okay. Follow me and see more there. <laughs> and and the, uh, the the school that you're teaching at, where, where what's the name and the uh, where is that located? Um, it's next to the main station and it's called ABZ, which stands for Allgemeine Berufsschule Zürich. We are actually the biggest school, you know, like for upcoming cooks. We have about 350 up, uh, you know, students every year. Mm-hmm. But they're also getting less and less because, you know, becoming a cook of later chef it's not as requested anymore as it's in the past because the students or like the kids they see like these rock star chefs on tv mm-hmm. but then they also face the reality and you know yeah so we need also to change how we work with kids or with our students to mm-hmm. keep them in our industry otherwise you know no chefs no future yeah yeah absolutely um I mean, what we can do, um, I'll get some of these links off you uh, after the pod and then we'll, um, I'll try and push that out on, on the, our social network so you can uh, get a bit, yeah. uh, bit more exposure that way. Okay, cool. Um, can we, we switch a little bit to the restaurant now? Um, and I'm always fascinated to, to talk about uh, the menu, uh, to understand what went into designing it, um, what was the process? Was it, was it something you were, uh, it was intuitive or uh, was it based on, as you've said, you know, the, the seasonality of the producers? Um, yeah, well, that, that Barbette, yeah. How, did, how did that come about? Yeah, so yeah, we have a, a solid basic menu or like, we do like this bistro food. So it's very simple food. We have like the moment we have like this crepe and galette with toppings. So it's kind of this French pizza pizza style mm-hmm. which is like very affordable we can do it with very simple ingredients so we have a, a small mise en place we change that menu like every six weeks more or less and they're like i don't know four starter items then six seven of this crepe galette with the toppings and some sweets are very limited which allows us to work very efficient mm-hmm. you know towards um let's say food loss food waste food safe Right. Because we prepare everything by ourselves, we can also, you know, we have the power still on our food value chain. So if mm. I've got rhubarb, I peel the rhubarb with the rhubarb peel, I make a syrup out of the syrup peel, I make a vinegar and then I squeeze it out and make a powder out of the skin. So I can use like rhubarb three or four times. Mm. And that's just because we can, because we have the, the manpower, we have the knowledge and the will to do so. I think that's the backbone of our menus. And um, once, it was from the beginning, like that, in all my places I worked like that. So in the other one, I had like just farm to table menus. Now it's more this bistro food and brunch. That's a bit of a different business, but you know, the main techniques how to create a menu or a, a menu card is the same. And for me, it's also very important. Um, once a month, we do like a format called Soiree Vegetal, which is a menu created, you know, about joyful eating for the planetary health. You see, it's always the same topic. So I cook like six courses, one farm, and then it's not about the food. It's about the impact of food, the problems and the solutions and ways of participation of a solution. 
and then I talk a lot, you know, I say often a course and then I just talk, 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 say off another course, talk, talk, talk. And that's very interesting because it works well. I make my guests as a part of the solution, so it's always like more or less booked out. Um, and that is for me very challenging. So how do I create now another menu? How do I create the stories? And pressure helps me there a lot. So, you know, I most I, I got the ingredients, I see what there's on the farm, what's like growing in, in the wildness, what can I forge? And then through pressure, I just create things which fit. So I, I'm not doing like one month research and how do I do this? How do I play that? For me, it's more like a natural, uh, intuitive process, let's say. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, that sounds awesome. I, I would be interested to come and uh, see this. Uh, where, 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 May, there's the next one. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And how do you go about booking that? Is that on the, the Barbet website? Exactly. It's, through yeah. the, it's every third Friday in the month. So, you know, we have like 12 times format per year and then I have like a wonderful menu through the seasonality. So each month, different stories and that's um, that's great to see how much knowledge we assemble through, through these events and it's often an eye-opener for my guests if you talk to them you know I always as an open phrase I say okay you're all part of the problem then I leave and then I come back and say okay you're also part of the solution for let's focus on the solutions and I serve them the solutions you know what's a healthy soil how can they support that so through giving me their money, they uh, enable me, my work, which, you know, I give the money further to the farmers, which produce in a sustainable way or in a regenerative way. And just to see these connections, these interconnections, it's really fascinating for me all the time to like see the guests, like how they are thrilled, you know, to understand this, yeah, this huge topic, yeah. Because we all see that the plant is on fire and we can eat the world to a better one. Yeah. Sounds super fascinating. Um, you mentioned about the farmers. Are they, the farmers uh, that you have supplying you at uh, Barbette, are they super, super local? Just on the, you know, in, you know, on the outside of Zurich or is it more far afield? Oof, um... Yeah, it's the cheese not. The cheese comes from Bern, from a small Alp, actually three Alps, but that's a guy with like 23 cows um, in the Alps producing the cheese. And I'm one of his biggest uh, buyers. Yeah. And he's producing the cheese still on the old school way, you know, with fire and, you know, yeah, also like very traditional. And that's also a chance, you know, through our connection, I can enable him to work the traditional way. and. Tradition is for me a super important value. If we mm -hmm. lose lose traditions, we also lose roots and techniques. Right. And yeah, they are also rooted in our, you know, in our DNA. So I think it's also super important that we see this aspect in our work. Mm. Yeah, and the rest is a Swiss, yeah, more Swiss. But Olive Oil is from Italy, but I know also the guy who has the Hacienda in Italy. So yeah. that's also fine. That's great. Um, I've never been to Barbet, although I used to live quite close to it. Um, if I was going to come in and, uh, you know, I, if I wanted to sum up kind of, uh, let's say your cooking, right? What, what two plates would you, would you give me to say, okay, this is, this is me on a plate. What would be those dishes? Hmm. What am I as a plate? Hmm. Hmm. Good question. I never thought about that. Hmm. I think I would be, as I said, like this Äpfelküchli. So yeah. it's like something hot, fried, and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And as a main, what the childhood main? Oh, yeah, but that's a bad one. So. My mother made always like um, a rabbit, mm. and I like rabbit. I'm, I'm still a meat eater, and rabbit I like a lot with mashed potatoes and carrots. You know, like this comfort food which yeah. gives you these childhood memories. And because I'm also very jumpy, and sometimes hard to catch, because my thoughts right. are always like somewhere else. I see myself also a bit like a rabbit <laughs> <laughs> to close that loop. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very good. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about um, about you as a as a chef, right? Um, because you know a lot of our listeners are, or at least who we're we're you know targeting um, are the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always interested to know, you know, what's the most important quality for for chefs to to have? Like, what 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 characteristics are important? Do you think after you know working in the industry for such a long time? Yeah. Um, love and respect for the food. I think that's the most important thing, and understanding of the entire value chain and the impact, also the social impact and the responsibility. <laughs> Flexibility, um, yeah, and of course, you know, it's hard work, so you have to be also physically in shape. Uh, and what's now also be the newer topic is like the mental health. Right. It's not that I do like marathon running with my team. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, it should be a topic like mental health mm. or like work-life balance. And I think if we want to have like a sustainable industry, the work by, uh, work-life balance needs to be in focus. And I hear that often from young cooks that it's also important for them, which is super understandable. You know, it's not like I did in the past, like 14-hour shifts and screaming head chef and like this violence right physical abuse verbal abuse i think that's not the future and i think that's that's something we have to give to the younger generation we have to leave it and best mm-hmm. practice it to the younger generation of cooks mm-hmm. how many people is in your team at uh, barbette in the kitchen three chefs with me then yeah. one two two in front and then if like around five spare time yeah What's your um, what's your leadership um, style uh, in the kitchen? Screaming, angry, <laughs> <laughs> abusive. <laughs> um, no, of course not. No, I think. Well, you have to ask my staff. You know, I try to be transparent. I try to be honest, straight. Um, I try to live. There was always thought to be like a very open feedback culture. So that nobody has to be afraid to say something. Um, we do also like regularly team meetings, you know, to open the space and to empower them to, you know, give me their opinion or their, you know, ideas or problems. I think that's that's very important to be mm-hmm. also open the space to uh, ask these questions. Are you um, also? bringing in your students um, for work experience into your kitchen? Um, no. no. What I do, some, I don't have also students in my kitchen because I, for that I don't have enough time. I'm not enough there. But more or less every year, I, there are always some, you know, like rotting apples on the tree or like falling apples, I say. So every year there I pick up like a student from our school, which has like super troubles to finish the apprenticeship and then I kind of pet them through the final exams so and uh, what I did as well for my students I also cook sometimes or with refugees in the Bundesasylzentrum and yeah that's just a little note if I can say that but it was very very touchy for me and it shows also the power of food so we cooked in this um, refugee center where the people just passed through actually we cooked there like once a month and I invited my students to come. So three of the students came. Uh, one has a Polish background, one Italian, one a Greek. And then we just, you know, have like, we have like surplus of food we can get for free. And then we just cook outside on fire pits. There was a family from Syria, a grandmother, mother and child. Uh, and the child was like seven years old and she was, you know, prepping vegetables with the the guy from from Greece and then he came to me later and said ah you know this girl is seven years old she speaks English Greek a bit of German and a bit of English that's so cool she's just seven and then I looked at him and said yeah but do you know why do you have an idea why and then he said no 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 and then he said yeah she, she grew up in Moria and Moria is like the, the worst refugee camp on a island in Greece 
so she, she's just a super traumatized child who had like to survive. And then he started barely to cry because he understood what this girl went through and he understood now this, the power of this moment, you know, that they were just cooking together and had this experience together. And that's so precious, you know, and that's really the power of food and cooking, you know, when people experience these things, you know, if you cook together, you forget about the trouble, about the, the burning world. It's just here and there and you do something, you know, good food for good people. And that, that changed his life, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. So. It brings people together. Yeah. I mean, it's really uh, noble. Um, what you uh, what you what you're doing and you've spoken about are you still doing that now are you still um going down there and and, and working and cooking uh, at yes. these shelters? not in this form anymore because it was on the square in front of um the bundesasylzentrum and on this square there are now containers for the refugees from ukraine hmm. so the, there's no more space but we hmm. are working on a similar format at um, where the Gas of Futura is based, it's called Die Cuisine in okay. Zürich-Altstetten. And there we have every Wednesday, we do a food safe market where we sell food from the wholesalers or like from the, the Engros Markt Halle. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, you know, you know, students come to buy a lot of refugees, it's really a mixed crowd. Yeah. And after the market, we cook together at dinner and we preserve the food items we didn't sell and these food items we donate to the food bank at Langstrasse for the people in need. So it's an open for format so everybody's invited to come and join. You can come just buy vegetables or you can come to help cook or you just come for dinner. So these things right. I still do. That's fantastic and that's every Wednesday in, in uh, Zurich Old Town. <laughs> Uh, die Cuisine, it's in Zürich Altstedt and it's been uh, in the suburbs. Oh, yeah. like suburbs been out of Zurich. Die okay. Cuisine, I can send you the link later. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll post that as well. Um, great, let, let, let's, I'm just conscious of time a bit. So let's um, switch gears a bit um, and we, we talk a bit more about, uh, I, I guess, Switzerland and the, the, the Swiss food industry in general, right? Um, What's your take um, on the options available and the restaurants in, in Zurich, for example, at the moment? Do you, do you think uh, the industry is in good health? Or do you think there's anything missing right now? Um, not another easy question. I think Zurich is doing well because, we have, yeah. as I said before, we have these very innovative you know, youngsters and very cool foods, a lot of pop-ups. A lot of awareness from the guest side because you can do, you know, I can do like such a circus, but if nobody comes, you know, it doesn't work. So mm -hmm. I think in Zurich we have both, you know, we have the clients uh, and we have the, the right chefs doing it. These super trends I'm a bit worried about, you know, the snacking, you know, that people, you know, people need to eat. So mm -hmm. fast food is growing, you know. Um, have a snacking, you know, you just grab food somewhere and then you walk and that, that's your lunch. Right. And usually this food is super unhealthy. So we, you know, our civilization or our, like the people in Zurich, they just eat themselves ill. Mm. So they're undernourished, uh, fat, etc. etc. Um, that's worrying me that the way we eat and I also see uh, a certain part of our industry growing towards the wrong way because, you know, it's cheap. It's fast, it's fatty, it's sugary, it's yummy. You know, fat and sugar together is yummy. So that right. sells. So that worries me. And in mm -hmm. Swiss wide, yeah, countryside and city, yeah, it's also a different story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, talk. Can we talk a bit about the uh, the pandemic? Because I'm always interested to know what what learnings uh, chefs had. Uh, and how they navigated that that moment. Um, do you have any lessons learned that can be um, can be discussed? Yeah, sure. For example, my debts I have since then. <laughs> uh, Sorry, what? My debts. You know, we we had to take a credit to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so still paying back that money. Mm. Even it was promised in the beginning that it's kind of for free, so uh, a small credit, but. Two years later, there was a letter. Now you have to pay back everything. So the next five years, you are paying back. 
that's just bothering. Um, yeah. For me personally, it helped a lot because I was like really not in a burnout, but I was kind of tired before the pandemic, you know, like we just opened Babette, we closed the whole job, a lot of things going on. So I was like really kind of exhausted. So for me, it was like a super fantastic break hmm. in a global scale. So right. and my, my wife is an infectious disease specialist. So it was also super interesting to see, you know, this wow. pandemic, how it's developing. And we were living in Bergamo, where it started in Europe. So we had like a direct dial to Bergamo. Oh, really? Wow. So it was like, you know, freaky situation, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I spent so much time outdoor. I did my gardening, uh, my rooftop terrace. You know, I'd spent a lot of time with myself. So it was super healthy. Mm-hmm. And it helped me also to focus on what I want and what I don't want. And I think since then, Babette, the profile became also a bit sharper because okay. there's nothing anymore I don't want. Yeah. And in, how did Babette survive that period aside from taking out the debts? But um, did you plug into any delivery uh, channels or did you just kind of close up shop and just ride it out? Yeah, no, in the beginning, I, I did like sous-vide. So we, 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 on our homepage, we had like some sous-vide stuff. So you made like different ragus. And, but it was in the very beginning. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, and I had like two pick-up pick, pick times at lunch and in the evening. And that was going okay, but it's not that we didn't make money. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like to keep the, te- the team busy, to keep me busy. Right. But after like some months, we said like, ah, that's not worth it. But uh, out of that, uh, a very nice situation happened but that I don't tell you now. That was too complicated. Okay. But that really empowered me. And I have to say, we have just like wonderful guests and wonderful clients. You know, there was like this big, big support of our guests. And that really also motivated me to continue because, you know, the feedback was like really, yeah, how we can help. You know, we come and buy whatever you sell. So it was really, really nice to feel. Mm-hmm. the support and that also like yeah mirrors my work i think how important it is to have like our open safe space above it wow yeah that's uh, that's very nice okay um so pandemic aside um what advice would you give to um, any of our listeners out there who are thinking about opening a, a restaurant in in Switzerland or in Zurich? Uh, you know, you've done this. You've done this multiple times now. Um, I think if anybody's got any learnings and advice on the topic, it would be you. Um, is there anything on the top of your head that you could share? Um, yeah, I think as a summary, it's like uh, know your numbers. That's like the main or the most important thing, you know, a strong concept, which is like really, yeah, needs to be strong, you know, mm-hmm. not just like no weak points and needs to be really round. And for me, it needs to be aligned with this planetary health diet, you know, with the future, with the problems, what I all explained now. So for me, that's mm-hmm. in whatever form it comes, but I think that's the future. Then, as I said, the calculation, so you have to know your numbers, you know, mm-hmm. and we do all like, always like five year budgets mm-hmm. and in different scenarios, which helped us a lot to go through the pandemic because we knew where we could like shut down, pull up a bit more. So that's yeah. very important and communication. So I think these are the three main things. And you know, when you're about to, to open this restaurant, you've got the concept, um, going about finding those producers that you talked about, you know, that that's not something that, you know, you can just do instantaneously with little experience, but what advice would you give to, to people looking to, um, you know, yeah, come to ask me. <laughs> so I have a lot of, a lot of, some, sometimes people approach me and say, Hey, do where do you get your, your trees or do you know any sustainable farmers and I know really a lot so I, I'm really happy to share that networks but then there's also like you know Biomondo for example is a homepage where you find small producers um, 
yeah, there are also platforms where you can dig and find it by themselves. But in the end, what is about, you know, local produce? It's about trust. It's about dialogue and relationship. And that needs time and meetings. So you have to grow a, a friendship and that needs just time, but it needs also a first step. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. I mean, as I said, we'll put a lot of these links out uh, so it can help uh, people navigate this. Um, Great. I think we're pretty much uh, pretty much done. I just have uh, three last questions that I always ask. Uh, but not what kind of food I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so one of the questions, the first question is, uh, is in your mind cooking an art or is it a craft? Ha! That was one of the questions I had to uh, answer myself during Corona. I figured out, you know, I never saw cooking as an art form. I wasn't even pissed, you know, and people said, yeah, you know, I'm an artist, you know, and now I played like Picasso. But in the end, we are the only art form which is, you know, art is nourishing your your your, 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 your soul and your, your brain, hmm. but not your belly. But right. then I came to the conclusion that actually cooking is the only art form where you nourish not just your soul and your mind, but also your belly. Hmm. So it's a art form and like each art, it needs handcraft as a base. Great answer. Um, and if you were trapped on a desert island, Andreas, what three items would you take with you? <laughs> it's also funny. That's uh, uh, something I tell often to kids to describe them that cooking is a superpower. So if you end up on island and you cannot cook, you're fucked. <laughs> so beside that, I can cook. So I would take um, a knife. Of course. Um, something to make fire. And my wife. Yeah, very good. Cool. Um, we spoke about the social media accounts, but uh, for the listeners, I'll, I'll post them um, on our Facebook and Instagram, Twitter pages, uh, so people know how to get in contact with you. Andreas, it was great. Really informative. I'm very inspired by listening to you and, and hearing what you're doing, that you're out there on the front lines um, and banging the drum. So I, <laughs> I, I really appreciate uh, ta you taking this time to, um, to, to chat to me today. And uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you great. for giving me the opportunity. I think together we are better. And, um, you know, what's better than being together and yeah, keep up the flag or like the, the, the fork. Right, exactly, exactly. Cool. Thank you very much, Andrea. Take care. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Grab a Drink with the Swiss Chef. Hope you enjoyed it and are much more wiser for it. And as I tell you all the time, if you fancy giving us a rating, it makes a big difference. I know it's a pain, but your support is crucial. So if you do feel motivated, go to wherever you get your pods from and give a review or a rating. Obviously, we depend on listeners and depend on more and more people finding out about this pod. So if you've liked what you've listened to, a good review really does help. Thanks, folks. Really appreciate it.